Today on the podcast, Graham and I talk about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. We know that not uh, everyone that's involved with us at Founders is Southern Baptist, but the Southern Baptist Convention matters. And because it matters uh, and their annual meeting is coming up next week, we want to identify three things that we think are crucial issues that those who gather in New Orleans need to give attention to. So encourage you to listen today. And if you know Southern Baptist pastors and church members, you might pass this along to them because what happens next Next week in New Orleans will be significant for the health of the SBC and the impact that that has on the broader evangelical world. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Well, Graham, we are sitting here on the week before the Southern Baptist Convention Mm -hmm. meets down in New Orleans in June of 2023. And uh, as we've been saying for the last few years, this seems to be another very pivotal uh, (laughs) convention gathering. And so there's lots of things that we ought to be thinking about are those who are going to New Orleans or considering going to New Orleans or could go to New Orleans ought to be thinking about. And so we've developed a little list of Mm -hmm. our concerns, and we want to just talk through those today. Uh, We know that this is going to be specifically about those in the Southern Baptist Convention, and a lot of folks that are founders folks aren't in the SBC, and that's fine. We're not an SBC organization, but what happens in the SBC matters because it's the largest Protestant gathering or Protestant convention of churches in North America as the largest missionary force uh, in the world, and uh, what happens in the SBC affects the whole evangelical right. culture. So even if you're not Southern Baptist, even if you're not uh, Protestant or not evangelical, you should care about what goes on in the SBC. So we've identified three things that we are praying and will work to see happen at the convention. And we want to talk about those. You know, it seems as though the Lord has certainly used the Southern Baptist Convention for great good in his kingdom for um, over a century. And continues to do so. Um, But the the Southern Baptist Convention is not well these days. No way. And uh, it seems as though every convention every year, it's like we're performing new surgery on a patient that is, you know. Critical. Yeah. And uh, it seems like the surgeries are not working and you have to perform more and more. And so it's my prayer, you know, that this surgery or this year, um, some of the things that take place, it doesn't doesn't fix the whole problem. You know, these three issues that we're looking at today. but if we can make some headway on these three issues, it goes a long way to healing the patient. Absolutely, absolutely. And we ought to, again, want to see that happen. But, but the truth is what the Southern Baptist Convention needs, what all of our churches need, only God can do. We are in desperate need of revival. And so I would encourage every pastor listening to this, uh, brothers, we need to be examining that and examining our lives, examining our churches, and calling our congregations together to pray. Pray for revival. Pray that God will come down and renew us, grant us deep repentance and fresh zeal and faith in Christ so that we'll stand in this evil day. Well, let's start with our list. Um, the, the first is 
we need to elect Mike Stone mm -hmm. as president Preach. of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you know, people will say, but wait, now Bart is, has been elected president last year, and traditionally, you know, if he wants a second year, he, we give him a second year. It is a one-year term, and so it's not a two-year term, so we need to be clear on that. And it's not unprecedented to have candidates be nominated against the incumbent uh, for that second year uh, that he is eligible to serve. So why do that? Well, again, I, I don't want to cast any aspersion on, on Bart Barber. Uh, I think what Bart said, when you know, he and I last year were the candidates, or two of the candidates of the four, that were um, held up before the convention to uh, be voted on, and, and people voted for him, not me, and that's fine. And so some people say, well, you're just sour grapes, you know, you're angry. I'm not angry about that. Uh, that was God's will, and mm -hmm. I accept that fully. Bart said last year, it was a, a wise thing, I think, and I believe that this year, too. He said, you know, if I, if I saw what Tom Askell sees, then I would do what Tom Askell's doing. And I think that's a very charitable way to speak, and I could say mm -hmm. that this year, that if I believed what Bart Barber believes about the SBC, if I saw what he says he sees, then, you know, I, yeah, I'd probably be doing what he's doing, too. I just think he doesn't see things that he ought to be seeing. some blinders on. Yeah, I, 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 they're looking through some lenses that keep him from acknowledging just how serious mm. the problems are. And as you said, you know, patients on life support. Well, Mike Stone sees it. Mm -hmm. He understands it. And uh, I believe it would be a great mercy of God if he gets elected. And so I want to say to every Southern Baptist within driving distance of New Orleans, uh, you, get credentialed and go to New Orleans and show up to vote for Mike Stone. You can do that just by coming on Tuesday. That's when that vote will be. I know it's a hassle. I know mm. it's expensive. But if you care about the um, health of the convention, the usefulness of the convention in God's kingdom, then I would plead with you that if you're within driving distance to get up early Tuesday morning or late Monday night and drive to New Orleans, park your car somewhere, get to the convention center, get credentialed, and go in and vote for Mike Stone as president. Well, why? Well, one of the things is that he should be president right now. I, I say that knowing that God overruled it, and I'm not contending against God, but I know how things happened right. that kept him from being elected president in uh, 2021 right. in Nashville. You know, he was nominated, and Al Mohler was nominated, and um, Ed Litton was nominated, and I don't know if there was a fourth. There was. There was a fourth, yeah. It was Randy Adams yeah. who was nominated. And then there was a runoff because of those four. It was Mike and Ed. That Which Mike, when in the election between the four, had the most votes. Had the most votes of yeah. the four. Yeah, that's right. And Mike was treated as dirty as you could be treated. Yeah. Uh, yep. it, it made the Democratic National Party blush mm -hmm. in terms of what was done to Mike Stone. They were, the DNC was over there taking notes. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> you know, they're they're learning things from what happened. And what are we talking about? Well, Russ Moore, a couple of weeks before the convention in Nashville, uh, there's leaked letters that Russ had written months before, like 13, 14, 15 months before, in which Russ Moore, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Medicine Convention, implicated, tried to implicate Mike in what he said that Russ said he knew of personally where women were being raped and children were being ripped to shreds. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we've done this half a dozen times on the sword and trial, 
But brother, if you knew of women being raped and children being ripped to shreds, would you sit on it and just write a letter? <laughs> no. Sit on it for 18 months? No, the, 18 first, months? the first thing I would do is call the authorities. Yeah. Call the police. After I got finished with the people who were doing <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I mean, I, that's crazy to me. And yet he writes this letter, you know, about how hard it's been and psyops have been played against him and such. And everybody was, can you believe this? Mike Stone was guilty of this. They're not even reading English with any sense of understanding. You can just see how powerful the false narrative was. Mm -hmm. Honestly, when, the more I learn about this whole situation that happened and what Russell Moore has done, it's just staggering. I would not have believed it if the evidence were not right in front of my face. Yeah, yeah you cannot look away. And, and I know people get upset and they say, why are you keep beating this drum? Because Russ Moore did it and that had horrific uh, ramifications for the SBC and nobody who should be complaining about it and going back and saying, wait a minute, this was wicked, this was godless, this man needs to repent, and we need to try to make things right that his actions helped make wrong. They're not, it's not happening. The, the leaders are not doing it in the SBC. Mm -hmm. Pastors aren't doing it that should be doing it. And it's not a matter of opinion anymore. It's a right. matter of evidence. And if you're willing to look at the evidence, it is there. Along with that, uh, Russ's uh, uh, sidekick, Philip Bethencourt, who was vice president of the ERC at the time, he decided that he was going to take on the role of a whistleblower. And so he had secretly recorded a conversation with Mike Stone. Secretly. They weren't supposed to be doing it. Boy, I'm glad we got these professional ethicists. That's right. These are our ethicists. Oh, my goodness. Secretly records this conversation. And then he releases uh, segments of it with commentary saying, oh, you know, here's where Mike Stone, you know, admits to doing these things. Here's where Mike Stone does and most people, or at least a lot of people, because I talked to them at the Nashville convention, several of them, who read what Philip said was in the audio files he released, and they didn't listen to the audio files. I read what he said. Right. I listened to the audio files. And right. I'm thinking, yeah. how in the world are you going to be able to spin this the way that you're trying to spin it? No thinking person will believe it. Well, well a lot of unthinking persons didn't listen to it. They just they didn't read listen to it. it. They yeah. read his commentary, and it, man, this guy's the second in command of the ERLC. You know, surely this is horrible. I had people come up to me and said, you know, I didn't. Uh, I voted for Al Mohler on the first ballot, second ballot. I could not bring myself to vote for Mike Stone because of, of all the things that were just you know, coming upon him. And Mike only lost by a couple of percentage points, mm -hmm. you know, like 600 votes different, right. and it would have been a, a different election. Uh, another thing was Mike was ambushed the night before right. by a woman who comes up to him in the convention center, or the, the uh, exhibit hall, I think it was, and says, engages in conversation. He talks to her politely. His wife's at his side. Other pastors are nearby. And then he says, I've got to go. And he walks away. And she turns around, starts crying. And all these pastors gather around her. And uh, Griffin Gutledge was there, I think, with his video camera <laughs> and, or whatever. And, and then it comes out that Mike Stone abused this sex abuse survivor. And Griffin gets on social media, said, Southern Baptist Convention deserves an explanation. Well, Mike said, you know, I don't, nothing happened. So in the kindness of God, he called the convention center and said, do you have surveillance footage of this area? And they said, yes, we do. He said, I'm asking you not destroy it. I'm asking you to preserve it. And I would like to have a copy of it. Well, they wouldn't give it to him. They wouldn't give it to his deacons. They wouldn't give it to those that represented them legally trying to get it. 
But they did give it to the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And a lawyer for the executive committee has told Mike Stone, look, the evidence on those surveillance footage video vindicates you. Mm. It didn't happen. Mm. Couldn't have happened the way that the narrative said that it happened. But Mike still can't get the video. So, Griffin, I would encourage you, hey, yeah, Southern Baptists have a right to know. They need an explanation. Release the video footage. Mm-hmm. The Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention ought to release it to the churches. Well, then this same uh, sex abuse survivor, as she's described herself, was used as a prop on yeah. the floor of the convention when Grant Gaines, a pastor, holds her up there in front of everybody to see and then makes this motion. that So we, manipulative. It's, it's crazy. so manipulative. Now, Grant later said, I didn't use her as a prop. She came to me. But this particular woman has said, that's not true. He came to me the day before and asked if I'd be willing to do this. I told him I wasn't a messenger. So he just puts her there by his side. Okay, we're supposed to believe all women, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what Grant told us. And so here's a woman saying Grant's lied. And so I mean, what are we to do? Again, these are just facts. Right. The, the, these are facts. So you look at what was done to Mike. And then Danny Aiken came out after the, uh, before uh, the runoff election. Before the runoff, yeah, we can't, Basically, we cannot vote for Mike Stone. Yeah, get, get in the convention hall, vote for Ed Litton. That's who we need, you know. And so, yeah, one of our convention uh, seminary leaders put mm-hmm. all his weight behind Lytton, and still Ed Lytton, who plagiarizes sermons and preaches with his wife, only one. And has, a, has a, had a heretical statement of faith on his church's website. Right, right that they changed instantly. You know, <laughs> yeah. So they became orthodox over you know, an hour or two. Uh, I mean, this is just this is horrific. So that's what happened when Mike Stone, by all rights, and again, I know God's sovereign. God did it. I'm not complaining against God, but we can't close our eyes to right. the wickedness of men that are implicated in this, men who need to repent and men who should not be trusted until they do repent. So that's one thing. But another thing, in February, the executive committee meeting, uh, getting getting reports, had the accounting firm that works for the executive committee stand up and tell the executive committee that there were $6 million spent last year that they didn't have. It was beyond their budget uh, in the executive committee. Why? Because of all the lawsuits and the different things that they're having to do through Grant Gaines' motion that very emotionally was uh, set before the convention with this sex abuse survivor by his side that people voted on that it's created all kinds of problems and hasn't done one thing that I know of on an official level to help sex abuse And that was the motion to, um, to appeal... Uh, attorney-client privilege. Yeah, to, to yeah to get rid of attorney-client privilege and to set up a task force and uh, resulted in the executive committee hiring uh, Guidepost Solutions, the okay. LGBTQ affirming and supporting uh, organization. So all of this goes back to what happened in 2019 when Mike Stone was sub, uh, set up to be nominated as president of the convention. Well, this CPA was asked in February, what are you telling us? He said, I'm telling you that the path you're on is unsustainable. Mm. So if you're a Southern Baptist, know that the executive committee's CPA has said that the executive committee's financial status is unsustainable. Six million dollars in the million. Rent. That's right. That wow. they spent, that they shouldn't have spent, that they didn't budget, didn't have for that in their budget. So that's there. What else? Why, why else should we elect Mike Stone. Again, I'm just giving you a litany. These are things that you can document. They're easy. Uh, this, these are not 
just you know preferences and opinions here. These are facts. I forget, it's three or four years ago, there's a lawsuit that is in the courts working its way up. I think it's in the Fifth Circuit right now mm. that Will uh, McRaney has filed against Kevin Ezell, who's the president of the North American Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. And it's been working its way through the court system. Well, several years ago, three, four years ago, maybe, the ERLC filed an amicus brief in behalf of North American Mission Board in that lawsuit. And the amicus brief was written by the Thomas More Society, which is a Roman Catholic legal Mm -hmm. organization. And in that brief, there is language that says the Southern Baptist Convention is set up in a hierarchical form, that there's an umbrella of authority under which the the churches of the convention live, you know, looking up to their higher authority. Well, that's exactly the way the Roman Catholic Church operates. It is not even close to the way Baptists operate. Well, I'm grateful once again for our religious liberty professionals here. My goodness. It's a disaster. And so when somebody read the brief and it became public after it had already been filed, Russell Moore says, oh my goodness, yeah, that's a mistake. You know, we're sorry. I didn't read it. I should have looked carefully at it. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, it has come out in discovery through this lawsuits working its way through the court system that the ERLC did know it was sent to them by the Thomas More Society before it was filed. And ERLC lawyers had it. ERLC executives had it. And so I don't know what that means uh, going forward. But nevertheless, that brief was filed. Um, we've had for years North American Mission Board helping to plant churches with women pastors. Mm. Uh, this has been documented, Tom. Oh, yes, but they're not senior pastors. So. <laughs> yeah, some of them are, and some of them are, are co-pastors with husbands. Uh, Tom Buck has uh, documented this. Mike Law, we'll talk about in a moment, has documented this with uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of churches mm. that have women pastors. What's another th- reason we ought to elect Mike Stone? Well, the, the cover-up of a uh, mistreatment of a sex abuse victim by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Mm. And again, if you've been involved in the Southern Baptist Convention, you've probably heard what happened to Jennifer Buck, Tom's wife. And people want to dismiss it and say, well, that's Tom Buck's wife, and we don't yeah. like Tom Buck. <laughs> yeah. you know? Tom's a rough character and all this, and so they just dismiss it. But it is documented And it got on the floor of the convention last year. It was referred uh, to investigate this. It was referred to the trustees of Southeastern Seminary. They went eight months without contacting Jennifer Buck Mm. and saying that they had investigated it. Mm. Well, they sent them evidence, and they tried to have communication with them, and uh, the Bucks did. And they first agreed to uh, have a third-party investigation, and then an anonymous couple wrote an email, and so President Danny Aiken said, well, that solves it. You know, we're over, we're finished here. You know, we now know what happened, and it's it's a fiasco. Well, the chairman of the Board of Trustees wrote a letter to the Bucks saying, look, you know, we've investigated this. We don't find any evidence of cover-up or implica- implication of Keith Whitfield, the, I think was a provost, may still be, and Karen Pryor, who was a professor, is no longer there, uh, in the things that you say happened. And so, you know, we're finished with it. But if you've got any other evidence, just release it publicly. Well, okay, Jennifer Buck's doing that this week. Mm. And so there are actually videos that are being released, and we'll link to the uh, first one or two of those as well, that just demonstrates, the facts demonstrate that you have uh, 
executives of the seminary, at least one executive, lying to the president and the president acknowledging that. And then later the narrative becomes, oh, no, 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 there wasn't any lying. You know, it may have been some deceit, mm. but wasn't any lying. <laughs> They've obviously gone to school with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission <laughs> uh, folks. I mean, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. So you've got that. And then we have been informed that the Department of Justice is investigating the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, if you're a pastor in a church, you're a member of a Southern Baptist church, the DOJ has investigators looking into the convention because of things like Russell Moore's letter. Which is great because we know the DOJ is neutral and unbiased and would never, ever unjustifiably, you know, weaponize themselves against. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We have great confidence there, right? Well, there's other lawsuits uh, going on against the SBC. And I mean, this it's just tragic that we're in this shape. And then you've got the the sex abuse task force that was appointed um, a couple of years ago, and then Bart Barber appointed the uh, abuse reform implement, implementation task force. And despite Todd Binkert coming out and confessing that he is a liar mm. and that he lied about covering up what happened to a sex abuse victim, confessing uh, but not apologizing. That's right. He actually said on social media, "Well, look, if it would help, I'll apologize." <laughs> This is a pastor, and Bart appointed him to this task force. And Bart said, yeah, I know, you know, I know that you know, he did this, but I just think he's got so much more about Again, I don't know how Bart's looking at that, but I'm not going to appoint a known, confessed, open liar, an unrepentant liar mm. to be involved when he's participated in uh, not dealing with a sex abuse survivor well. I'm not going to appoint him to a sex abuse yep. Uh, commission. So you you got that, and then Rachel Den Hollander as the the uh, consultant who's not even Southern Baptist, and uh, who has uh, uh, when she was asked to observe the investigation in J D Greer's church when he hired a pastor who had been implicated in a sex abuse cover up, uh, she just said she was disappointed. I di- I can't really speak to it. You know, I, look, these things indicate there is something rotten right. in Denmark. Thanks for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial. I just wanted to bring to your attention a few things that Founders is doing here over the next coming year. Uh, First, obviously, we are having our 2024 National Conference here in Southwest Florida. We want to invite you to join us for that. The theme is Remember Jesus Christ. That's January 18th through the 20th. Uh, Dr. Tom Askell will be there, Conrad Mbewe, Joel Beakey, Phil Johnson, and Travis Allen. It's going to be a wonderful time. Every national conference that Founders does is just a wonderful time of preaching and teaching and fellowship. You can register for the conference at founders.org slash conference. And there will also be Spanish translation during the conference and the live stream will be translated into Spanish as well. And one of the things that you often hear uh, here at Founders is the phrase, uh, find a healthy local church and build your life around it. We encourage people to do that. You know, that doesn't mean that if you have a, a church and you see some problems in it and you're a part of that church that you just leave right away. You be faithful to that church and try to help that church along. But if you if you need to find a new church, or if you're moving or you're going somewhere and you're, you're looking for a good church, a body of believers to worship with, uh, we encourage you to check out our Founders Church Search. It's been a wonderful tool for myself and my family when we travel, and I know for many other people as well. And so uh, you can find that on our website at church.founders.org. Well, you know, there's there's a long list of 
major problems that we just listed off here. And we could honestly do a show and a conversation on every single one. Every, absolutely. You know, Mike Stone being elected as president, um, in what way does that help? Well, it, it doesn't solve the problem because the SBC is, the, the reason we can stay SBC is because we're an autonomous church. The church I serve is an autonomous church. And so what happens in Nashville, all these things, they don't change anything about how we minister. Mm -hmm. uh, the SBC has done some good things and the partnership that we have with other SBC churches has been healthy and good in a lot of ways. We've been able to, to do some wonderful things we couldn't do by ourselves. But um, these things are uh, serious and they, they, matter and if mike stone is elected it will signal that churches like ours are fed up mm. and that we need a change and it's going to take years but it can happen it and can several happen. different presidents of the same caliber and the same belief that's right they're committed to mm. that see these things they're not closing their eyes they're not just glossing over it so i don't know you guys are just cantankerous no they see it and they're saying yeah these are real problems these are ethical moral spiritual theological problems and who are able to not be emotionally manipulated that's right because this whole sex abuse issue it's so easy to be manipulated that's by right it. that's right and churches need to deal with it and so mm -hmm. one good thing that i can say maybe has happened through this coming to the fore is that churches are sensitized in ways that they weren't before and they need to be mm -hmm. and we ought to take this seriously but there's no way, there's no way you'll ever be able to demonstrate that of the 46,000 churches, the majority or even a, a large minority of them are pro-sex abuse. Right. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true. So heightened awareness is good, but there's not been one thing done that I know of officially, despite all the millions of dollars that have been spent that has uh, done uh, something to cause sex abuse not to occur or to cause victims to be treated better. Yeah. And that's been, that's been part of the complaint of the sex survivor community is Bart Barber was their guy. What has he done? Nothing. I mm -hmm. mean, they've said that publicly. I'm just kind of quoting them. So Mike needs to be elected president in my estimation. Yeah. And again, I would encourage you if you're Southern Baptist, get there on Tuesday and vote for him. And you know, he's just, he's a man of integrity and he's a man who is capable. Absolutely. He and, understands. and we need a guy like that. And I'm he not, understands the convention. Yeah. I agree with you. We we need that. I, I can't think of a better candidate or better president that we have had in the last many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I would certainly commend that. Second thing is Mike Law's amendment needs to be brought to the floor and to be passed. Are you familiar uh, with this amendment very much? I know that it is, it's an amendment that uh, has to do with women pastors. Yeah. Um, Mike Law's a pastor in Virginia. I mean, mm -hmm. he's just a Regular guy like most Southern Baptist pastors has been keeping his head down, trying to do a faithful job in a church that he's served for the last 10 or 12 years. Uh, he's a wonderful man. I've known him for years, a long mm -hmm. time. He's just a faithful, godly pastor and uh, has done good work. There's a church. They actually merged with a church that was dying, trying to revitalize that. It's a healthy situation. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows Mike that has worked with him just has wonderful glowing things to say about his humility and his integrity. Well, uh, he began to look around at churches in his area. There's Southern Baptist that had women pastors. And so he wrote some letters to the executive committee and began to ask questions and he began to get stonewalled mm -hmm. in the answers that he was getting to his questions. And so he did some 
investigation himself and discover this is a larger problem. So he brings an amendment to the floor of the convention last year, which is amendment to Article 3 of the Constitution that sets the guidelines on what it means to be Southern Baptist, to be a church in friendly cooperation. And he just wants to add this simple little statement. A church does not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind. Simple amendment. And so he, he makes the amendment, and of course it gets referred to the executive committee. The new president, Bart Barber, and the chairman of the executive committee tell him, or they signal in the fall, look, we want this to come before the messengers. We want the messengers to be able to speak to this issue. So he's encouraged. He's encouraged that he's going to get invited to the executive committee to actually speak and to answer questions about his proposal. Most of that got scuttled. I mean, by the time the executive committee met in February, they told him that, uh, you know, it was just too important. They had too many other things to do to vote on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, they restricted his time from like 20 minutes down to five minutes. And they wouldn't let him present his, his uh, evidence in slideshow format. I mean, it's just, it, it, was a, it was horrible the way that he was treated. So Mike began to send his amendment to different Southern Baptist pastors. He now has 2,300 Southern Baptist pastors, including me, you, signed on to this amendment. 2,300 Southern Baptist pastors signed on to this amendment. And uh, it needs to come before the floor. Well, there's efforts underway to keep that from happening. Why would that? Why would there be efforts to keep that from happening? Oh, man. Well, there's, there's different rationale. One is we don't want to be changing the constitution. We need to do a different thing. This is what Bart Barber has recently signaled. We want to do something better than this. We want to have a a task force that's set up to examine the constitution and the confession and see if we need to change one or the other or both, you know. That's like when my my, when my two year old asks me for a lollipop. Oh no, you don't want a lollipop. I'll get you something better than a lollipop. How about some broccoli? That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is simple. It's up and down, man. Now it takes two years. You'd have to, we'd have to approve it this year, and again next year. But it needs to get to the floor, mm-hmm. and there's going to be efforts to keep this amendment that the executive committee did not act on. That now they've told Mike they they might act on right before the convention meets, like the day before they might vote and say no, probably to it. Then um, that will uh, uh, be reported out. But we'll have to challenge it and overturn that committee's decision if that's what happens. Well, and this this amendment obviously it's unbiblical. It it, <laughs> it advocates for unbiblical practices in the convention, right? Yeah, that's right. It just says you shouldn't have women pastors, you know. And uh, certainly Paul would disagree with that, any right? kind of pastor, right? Mm-hmm. So youth pastor, discipleship pastor, yeah. Women can't serve in it. Yeah, I mean, the pastor means something. Mm -hmm. It means something. The Bible tells us what that something is. So uh, you've got that. Um, That needs to be, that amendment needs to pass. So that's going to be a fight in that if it is sent to committee, we have to vote to bring it out, and then we have to actually vote on it. And then the following year, we have to to vote vote on on it again. It has to pass. So we're looking at potentially three votes that have to go well. Yeah, it's it's an uphill climb because here's my guess is that the executive committee will not bring it to the convention, which I think would be um, a a dereliction of duty. Mm. You know, 2,300 pastor signatures on there, and you're going to say, no, no, no. Uh, that, That takes a lot of chutzpah. To, they to uh, they have been willing to ignore this, the signature and the testimony of thousands of pastors Absolutely. in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, again, indicates the problem, mm-hmm. why we need a change uh, right now. So it's going to uh, require paying attention. And when the executive committee reports out, if they do not bring the amendment out, to force them to bring it out and then to force a vote and to vote 
in favor of it. If they bring it out, and they might, I mean, that'd be awesome. Then we're going to have to vote to pass it mm-hmm. and then do it again next year. So that's one thing that I think simply clarifies our position on what the Bible clearly teaches. Mm-hmm. All this nonsense about, oh no, when Paul says he doesn't permit a woman to uh, teach or exercise authority over a man, this is uh, because of what happened in creation. Uh, that's not what he means. What he right. means is women can be pastors. Right. You just have to do exegetical gymnastics. Now, there is one fairly well-known Southern Baptist pastor who might argue against this. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Well, it depends on which year you're talking about, whether you're Southern Baptist. You know? You're talking uh, about Rick, Rick Warren. Uh, yeah, Rick's on a, a campaign now, and he set up a whole website to uh, say that, no, Southern Baptists, look how bad we are. Uh, you know, we've, we've just... Uh, we're not baptizing many people. We've lost you know, all these millions of people. Churches are not as many churches. Starting churches, not as many churches. And so he's doing these videos. And the reason he gives for our decline as a convention is because we're using the Baptist faith and message as our standards for, as for who we consider to be in the convention and who we would put out of the convention. Yeah, and uh, what argument is he making about how why Southern Baptists shouldn't use a confession of faith? He Because that's just not what Baptists Baptist, Baptist do. Anybody that knows Baptist history yeah, that's knows right. that, right? <laughs> don't anybody tell Tom Nettles, okay? Please don't tell <laughs> Tom Nettles. Well, he kept, he kept referring to the founders, and at first I was like, is he... No, okay. He's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I don't know Rick well. We've corresponded. I've met him, talked to him. And, um, you know, he's a gifted, gifted mm-hmm. man. You can't mm-hmm. do what he's done yeah. uh, and not be gifted. So I'll grant all of that. But in, in 2005, he gave an interview with the New York Times. They said, well, now you're Southern Baptist, aren't you? He said, oh, no, 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 no. So, you know, when we started, we were Southern Baptists, but now we've grown beyond that. We do our own missions thing and such. Uh, and then later he contacted them when it became public and just manuscript on the web. He said, would you mind taking that off and, you know, just amending that? Because, you know, he said, I, I misspoke. Okay. You know, that's a pretty big misspeak. Baptist when it's convenient. Yeah, but uh, but that's a, a, a big deal. But, you know, he complains about or says it's a tragedy what's happened to uh, the decline in our churches. Well, last year on the floor of the convention, do you remember he was given more time than any other messenger? How could I forget? And I'm not even sure he was a messenger last year. I mean, he didn't have any credentials on that I saw. But he spoke for over six minutes, I think, and got a standing ovation by a lot of people. And uh, in that little speech, he said that he'd trained over a million pastors, which is more than all the Southern Baptist seminaries combined. I wonder how many of those million Rick Warren trained pastors are responsible for the churches that are in decline. You know, <laughs> I just wondered, I don't know, but I'm just, it's a question uh, to be asked. Well, Saddleback very famously last year ordained three women pastors. Mm-hmm. And Rick said, yeah, man, I've just come to see things in the Bible I've never seen before. You know, the Great Commission and the fact that uh, it was women that went and announced the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it's like he's never seen those verses before. Right. And now he's seen them, and that justifies women pastors. They did that very openly. Uh, the successors that to Rick are a husband-wife pastor team. They mm-hmm. both are called pastors. Uh, Rick has said very clearly he wants the SBC to go the way of Saddleback. He wants them to go the way Saddleback Church has. Well, what has Saddleback Church done? Meg Basham wrote an article for the American Reformer in which she has a section called the the Slippery Slope, and she documents how one of their pastors at Saddleback started this organization, uh, a chapter of this organization on their their church uh, for the parents, a support group for parents of LGBTQ uh, people. 
And uh, so, you know, you say, okay, then that's a good thing. There needs to be support for that. But this pastor also has been involved in other things that seems to affirm LGBTQ Christians mm-hmm. and members of the church, prominent members, have been involved in organizations, sitting on boards, participating in uh, conferences that affirm LGBTQ Christians, that mm-hmm. you can be a Christian and identify yourself that way. One of them, a woman, said that she went to a conference that was for LGBTQ plus Christians and the Holy Spirit was there. Mm. And so she knows that this is right. That's Saddleback. That's Saddleback. And so as you listen to Rick Warren's videos and his talks and you listen to him as he speaks on the floor of the convention, uh, recognize that the Credentials Committee removed them and other churches from the SBC by virtue of what happened at the convention last year. And when Rick petitions to have that reversed, remember uh, that what he wants for the convention, what Saddleback represents, and don't do that. We need to uphold the Credentials Committee decision to dismiss uh, Saddleback and all the other churches. He is a uh, he is a very skilled, like you said, gifted rhetorician. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets on the floor, you may think, oh, it'll be easy to overcome this appeal uh, because obviously the Southern Baptist churches are complementarian in the majority, and obviously we don't want LGBTQ, LGBTQ stuff. But when he gets to that floor and he gets to that mic and he starts speaking, Dr. Mellifluous, his golden tongue, I mean, <laughs> people are going to be convinced. Yeah, and you can just look back last year on that. And again, I think uh, Rick's already signaled too. He said, "I don't need the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention, these churches that are my kind of churches, you know, these purpose-driven churches. I think he's poised to start his own denomination, and mm-hmm. I would encourage him to do that. I mm-hmm. think that'd be a great thing mm-hmm. for him to do. Do it their way, you know, and and not have to be entangled by uh, the things that he sees as wrong in the SBC." And were that to happen, it would be a great blessing because I think a lot of churches would go with him. And then those who are concerned to pursue biblical theological health and repentance over where we've been so negligent and sinful, uh, we might be, by God's grace, under his power, enabled to see some good things emerge and some restoration Mm. of what has made this other Madison Convention so useful in generations past. So to sum up, there are three major issues. There are other reasons to go to the sure. convention for sure. Go and support our missionaries. You know, this, the missionary sending um, time is is always beneficial. Um, pray for them. Um, connect with other pastors in the convention. There will be other important business to to see to and to deal with. Um, but the three major issues that that we should be concerned about in terms of the business that we need to do is we need to elect Mike Stone. Mm-hmm. We need to see Mike Law's amendment passed, mm-hmm. and we need to make sure that uh, Saddleback is not reintroduced into the convention. Yeah, that's right. If those three things happen, that would be a mercy of God. Mm-hmm. So, again, if you're a Southern Baptist or if you know Southern Baptists and they are within driving distance, I mean, it's kind of late right now, but uh, if you have the means to get there, Get to New Orleans next week. Get credentialed by your church. Every Southern Baptist church is qualified to send two messengers. And even if you've never been before, go to New Orleans. Get your ballots. Show up on Tuesday, most important day. It's a Tuesday-Wednesday meeting. And vote for Mike Stone to be president. Uh, When this amendment comes up before the convention, vote to bring it out. Vote 
to pass it when Rick Warren and the other churches who make their appeals to be reinstated to the convention speak uh, to that, vote to sustain the Credentials Committee and to uh, maintain the separation of churches that do not uh, belong in the SBC cooperative world because they believe that uh, women should be pastors just like men. Well, um, we'll see what God does. We'll see what the Lord does with this. Again, the Southern Baptist Convention, in my estimation, it's it's not the be-all, end-all. Mm. Uh, certainly God doesn't need it. Local churches don't need it. But it is a good thing that if, by God's grace, could be reformed, could be recaptured to biblical faithfulness, these issues that we've identified could be addressed honestly, humbly, repentantly, uh, we could see the SBC be a, a wonderful force for great good in years to come. So pray for to that end and work to that end. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in that, then please contact us. So thank you again for listening to this episode of The Sword and Trial. Uh, we're grateful for all the encouragements and prayers and uh, letters and support that you give to us. If you found this useful or if you know others, especially Southern Baptists, that might benefit from the information that we've gone over today, uh, please pass this podcast along and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.